Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director, and this is The Daily D.C., Thanks so much for listening. Today on the podcast, our Friday feature, I'm joined in studio by Jeff Zeleny. He is CNN's senior Washington correspondent and our go-to expert on all things 2020. And Jeff, 2020 obviously ratcheted up significantly as Joe Biden got into the race this week. It really instantly changed the shape and contours of what this Democratic nomination race is about. And I just want to get your first thoughts about sort of your take on the Biden rollout thus far overall and how you think he changes the race. Well, there's no doubt that this is something that is uh, certainly not a secret. It was not very suspenseful, but still that moment at 6 a.m. on Thursday morning when that video came out, it did dramatically change the race. You could just feel how it changed the Democratic race. And I think the uh, other Democratic hopefuls, the other 19 of them, also realize that because for one full day, Joe Biden consumed virtually every ounce of oxygen in the race. And I think how he decided to jump in was really pretty fascinating. You know, he did not introduce himself as the boy from Scranton, even though a few weeks ago there was a uh, you know, video being shot in his hometown of Scranton, Pennsylvania. I'm sure we'll see uh, it at some point. No doubt yeah. about it. But uh, he clearly wanted to make this a serious moment. We've seen so many other candidates get in on The Tonight Show or get in on Late Night, and not Joe Biden. He wanted to make this sort of shake the conscience of voters or maybe indeed Americans and say, look, what this is about is about restoring, in his words, the soul of the nation, but also beating Donald Trump. So I thought very effectively uh, framed the conversation around Charlottesville and, as we saw then on Friday, uh, drew President Trump into – still explaining and sort of defending his original answer to Charlottesville. So I thought it was a pretty uh, smart, strong rollout for the first 24 hours. Now, if you count the last three months of the rollout, I'm not sure it's that smooth (laughs) for Joe Biden, but it did change the race dramatically. And here we go. And talk a little bit more about how the race changed, because I that's a really smart point you make about like the late night shows. And then I was just thinking, as you were saying that, well, he also has the luxury that all the other 19 don't, which is how well known he already is and identified in the minds of the American public. No question. I mean, uh, certainly Democratic primary voters are very familiar with who Joe Biden is. And I think he wanted to, you know, reintroduce himself in the moment, in the fight with Trump, as opposed to explaining you know, his whole history. Uh, but I think how it changed the uh, race is, um, you know, the reality is there is just so much room. So now there isn't, uh, you know, we talked about oxygen a second ago. It is going to be difficult for some of these candidates to get their message out now. I mean, but I think Joe Biden, though, after this big announcement, he is going to go back to not being, you know, the vice president. He is going to be candidate for president Joe Biden. He is going to have to be out there on the hustings, in the town halls. So in a sense, we don't really know how he's 
going to do until next week when he meets voters for the first time. Up until now, it has been pretty controlled. Of course, his interview on The View Friday was the um, you know beginning uh, phase of this is not a scripted TV commercial. That part of it's over. And uh, Joe Biden has many attributes and many shortcomings. And one of those uh, was on display on Friday on The View. Yeah, we'll get to that uh, in a bit. But that there is the reality of Joe Biden hitting the campaign trail and meaning interviews and, as you're saying, meeting with voters. Uh, but that is different than the idea of a Joe Biden candidacy. That's the reality of a Joe Biden candidacy. And we are uh, seeing the, the very beginnings of that right now. What do you make? I found this really interesting. Warren and Sanders both on day one of Joe Biden getting into this race, there was no deference. And I'm just going to, you know, take the day off and let Joe Biden have his day kind of a thing. I'm not suggesting that should be. I'm just saying it wasn't. Right. Both Warren and Sanders, you know, Warren by name on the credit card bankruptcy bill that she and Joe Biden fought over very publicly a couple of decades ago. And Sanders more implicitly in a fundraising appeal sort of slamming him for on day one going to the home of a corporate executive and and raising uh, money. What did you make of their willingness to sort of go at him on his first day? I think it uh, was really probably not all that surprising. Again, they're not treating him with deference as a party elder, as the you know the former vice president. They're treating him as a candidate for president. One of their, their opponent, totally one of their rivals. And uh, and I thought it was interesting, just given what Senator Warren had done earlier in the week at our town halls on Monday in New Hampshire, when a student, one of the voters, asked her uh, to name the biggest mistake of the Obama presidency, I believe, and she sort of came around to it, but with pretty kid gloves. I mean, she did not go after it hard. So going after Barack Obama, that's going to be fascinating to watch here, how much these candidates are willing to attack their record. Because Barack Obama remains, uh, you know, one of the most popular, perhaps the most popular than Michelle Obama uh, figure in the Democratic Party. So I think it was not surprising that they went after Joe Biden, particularly in those areas of interest. Because when Elizabeth Warren sort of raises the issue of the uh, credit cards and other things, it helps promote her message. So it was more about that. And Bernie Sanders was drawing attention to the fundraising because that is something that I'm not sure that many voters care about the fact that, you know, on the first day of Joe Biden's candidacy, he had an old fashioned, uh, you know, um, rich people write a big check uh, fundraiser. That's how he's going to fuel his campaign. Uh, But Bernie Sanders wanted to draw attention to it. And you're not going to let that pass on the first day. But I'm more intrigued, and we don't know the answer to this question yet, how much they will make Joe Biden answer for um, areas of the Obama time in office and record and legacy that don't necessarily comport with uh, today's uh, progressive Democratic Party. Yeah, I mean, uh, just as an example, uh, as I'm thinking, uh, immigration, to, uh, right, immigration right. is first, you know, friendly allies of Democrats are the ones that called Barack Obama the, the deporter in chief. So, right. And he you had know, protesters when right. he was still in office. So that's to come. But I think going after, I still think people, though, will, uh, it's pretty risky, I think, to sort of make that a negative. Uh, Net positive. It's definitely net positive that Joe Biden was Barack Obama's running mate. There's no question about it. But so, well, I guess what I am saying, not necessarily that it's a surprise, but it was Warren and Sanders 
that drew the contrast. Not there are lots of other candidates, sure. and by the some of them running ahead of Warren, right? I mean, you know, Beto O'Rourke or Kamala Harris or Pete Buttigieg, they didn't choose to take on Biden in some way, even though he's now a rival on day one. There was something about the calculation of Warren and Sanders and being the most progressive and the most of that wing of the party. It seemed to me they felt, as you said, to help their own candidacy. That contrast and trying to make him the centrist, corporatist, establishment thing, entity in the race, is critical to their, their what they believe their path to the nomination. No doubt. It was designed like this. In case you're feeling all warm and fuzzy about that announcement video you just saw of Joe Biden, in case you're like, wow, he is the person to sort of you know stop Donald Trump. Like – they were trying to shake sort of a different reality. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He is not the uh, woke candidate that you may be looking for in this moment. I think we'll see more in days to come. I think maybe one of the reasons that others were not uh, sort of out there doing this, um, some of them were not on the campaign trail on Thursday when he was jumping in. I think over this, you know, the next coming days, and certainly when Joe Biden goes to Iowa next week and other things, I think. I would not be surprised if more sort of join in and remind people that uh, he's not quite as uh, sort of a progressive as a today's moment is as they are or quite as diverse. I mean, that is one of the things that he cannot change, obviously, that he's a 76 year old white man. But that will be an issue in this race. Yeah, uh, no doubt. You said woke. And, you know, to back to that rollout video. And I agree with you. I thought the video was really strong. I thought strategically it showed a savvy uh, on the part of his team because it, to me it wasn't just uh, not sitting on a late night couch or doing this in some way. To me, everyone else got into this race by touching on the laundry list of issues that no doubt Joe Biden will touch on throughout for the sure. course. Obviously, we'll we'll hear him on the Green New Deal and Medicare for all and college affordability and all those things that are driving so much of the conversation inside the nominating process, but. The discipline of just doing this, just this, not doing the laundry list, I thought was a pretty savvy strategic choice. I also thought, and I emailed you about this earlier, he did not put forth – you said he shot video in Scranton. His choosing not to put forth the lunch pail Biden thing, that's one thing, to not put that forward. It's another thing to choose Charlottesville, which in addition to the, just the overall Trump thing, has a clear resonance, specific resonance for African-American voters uh, due to the hate rally and the KKK notion that was right. at the heart of Charlottesville. And uh, to go on The View, which is clearly about a female audience, going on GMA next week, sitting down with their, uh, the female anchor, Robin Roberts, not George Stephanopoulos, right? They are looking at African-Americans and female voters Two friendly audiences to Joe Biden over the course of his career, not not voters he has problems with, but representative of some of the lingering issues about his record. This is not by mistake. I mean, that is a design, even though all the talk about Joe Biden is, you know, he can beat Trump where Trump won uh, with those white working class voters in the Rust Belt. Right. By doing Charlottesville, it was much more than going after President Trump. You're absolutely right about that. I mean, it. It really is – it was genius in a respect. It was like one sort of event that uh, helped him potentially with so many different areas and also really I think brought us back to – again, I think it was designed to like shake our senses a little bit. I think we have gotten uh, everyone, the collective, we have gotten used to sort of the – 
abnormalities and the uh, chaos and the freneticism of a Donald Trump White House that some supporters like and some Americans are exhausted by. I think it was an intentional way to do that. But you're right. I mean, there is no path to the Democratic nomination without the strong support of women, African-Americans, and African-American women, most importantly. So that is going to be the central thing here. And we don't know the answer to that question, how uh, Joe Biden in the long run will be able to win them over. It is a diverse, diverse field. When I talk to voters, one thing I'm sort of struck by And I do think this may change over the uh, course of the next uh, several months. Several women voters consistently say, well, we aren't sure a woman can win, so maybe we will go with uh, Joe Biden or a man better than Trump. But I think that uh, we'll have to watch how that plays out. If someone, uh, say uh, Kamala Harris or Elizabeth Warren or Amy Klobuchar, if a woman wins Iowa, like winning suddenly um, makes you look like a winner, which sounds sort of obvious, but I guess, you know, we're thinking back or I'm thinking back to Barack Obama in 2008. Black voters, by and large, did not rally around his candidacy until white voters supported him and delivered him uh, the victory in Iowa. Right. So I think all that's fascinating, but you're right. Back to Charlottesville, I thought that carried a lot of a freight, if you will, for Joe Biden in one single video. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was really well done. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to have a lot more with Jeff Zeleny right here on The Daily DC in just a moment. Stay with us. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Daily DC. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. I am joined in studio here by my colleague, Jeff Zeleny. He's CNN's senior Washington correspondent. Uh, Jeff, the difference between a three and a half minute scripted video that you can do multiple takes and get it exactly how you want it versus sitting for 40 minutes of a live interview uh, on live television uh, could not have been more apparent today when Joe Biden took uh, to the studios of The View to sit down with the ladies of The View for that interview. I as as impressed as I was, as we were just talking about with the rollout video, was how unimpressed I was with uh, his appearance on The View. Nothing – I'm not suggesting it was like a candidacy-crushing thing out of the gate. I was, But it just was a reminder to me in watching that, that uh, Biden me- can meander and ramble and not finish thoughts and it didn't seem to me that he came out – with very specific message points he wanted to hit. He knew what questions he was going to get, obviously, on Anita Hill, on the touching of or invading the personal space of of women that he was dealing with in recent weeks. But he didn't come out to drive something. He just, I don't know, seemed a little um, dissipated. Dissipated. That's uh, (laughs) That's... an interesting word to use. Look, I think that it reminded – that is Joe Biden. That is someone who's in the Senate for so long, talks so long, is long-winded, is meandering. But you're right. He did, he did not have a short, tight, concise plan, it seemed to I me. I guess some people could call that senatorial. Go. You're right. I don't know. You know. I, mean, I have watched many Senate hearings <laughs> with Joe Biden floor speeches. I mean, he is, uh, you know, he controls the clock in many respects. But look, I think as a substantive matter, I think you viewed it. If you're happy with Joe Biden's candidacy and like sort of see him as the Democratic savior, I think you thought it was fine. But I think it was torturous in some respects to listen to it and watch it just by he had to be prepared for all of this. And it seemed like it was just happening out of the blue. Like what I was thinking as I was watching it, 
what have you been doing for the last four months, but to not come up with a tight sharp, answer right? just wasn't to this. Sharp. That, and I think that speaks to a couple of things. One, I think it speaks to his staff work. He has been in this business longer than all of his advisors. Joe Biden, um, he doesn't necessarily take advice well, I think. He's longer surrounded. than you and I have been alive. That is so true. <laughs> Almost combined, although not quite. Um but I think like that was clear to me that he does not have someone saying, sir, this is what you need to do. You need to – I mean are they going to go back and make him watch those answers? Probably not, but they probably should. I mean uh, so I think that I was struck by he was just unable to quickly say, I'm sorry for what I did. Yeah, and on that specifically, I want to play a little bit of sound here for folks to hear. Uh, obviously, we saw on the day of his rollout, Anita Hill had spoken to the New York Times, and so they had a piece ready to go that Joe Biden had spoken to Anita, Anita Hill within the last couple of weeks, obviously for the last year, I would say, due to – I can't remember if it was a Showtime or an HBO movie, but like due to the movie with Kerry Washington that came out and then the – Christine Blasey Ford Kavanaugh hearings. This has been bubbling, and each time it does, Joe Biden was front and center in the like, right. how is he going to address this? And then, um, so then Anita Hill says they had this private conversation, and she wasn't satisfied with it. And on the view, when he was asked about it, he didn't want to weigh in on the fact that she wasn't satisfied. So here is a little bit of Joe Biden on the view answering questions about Anita Hill. Uh, early this month, you reached out to Anita Hill. And uh, you personally expressed some regret to her about the way you behaved, I guess, back in 1991 when you were on the Senate committee. Um, you didn't vote for Clarence Thomas, right? Not only didn't I vote for Clarence Thomas, I believed her from the beginning. Yeah. I was against Clarence Thomas. I did everything in my power right. to defeat Clarence Thomas. And he's won by the smallest margin anyone ever won going on the Supreme Court. But she, she was not 100 percent happy with your discussion with her. So here's your opportunity right now to just say you're, you apologize, you're sorry. I think we can clean this up right now. Well, by the way, I, I did. I understand. Uh, look, I'm not going to judge whether or not it was appropriate, but she had, whether she thought it was sufficient. But I said privately what I've said publicly. I am sorry she was treated the way she was treated. I wish we could have figured out a better way to get this thing done. I did everything in my power to do what I thought was within the rules to be able to stop things. But look, take a look at what's happened. What I did when we got past, when we got through that god-awful experience she'd been through, she's one of the reasons why we have the Me Too movement. She's one of the reasons why I was able to finish writing the Violence Against Women Act. She's one of the reasons why I committed and that was over. There'd never be a judiciary committee I was involved with that didn't have women on it. Mm -hmm. So I went out and made a, got a commitment that the women I campaigned for would come on the committee. Yeah. Uh, so she, she, she's responsible for significant changes, and she deserves credit for it. And uh, one of the things you saw is, how about the last hearing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it, we haven't, there's so much more work to do to figure out. How, the, the one important thing I know is, and if there's anything in terms of mindset of, of, of Supreme Court hearings in those kinds of circumstances, Supreme Court hearing is not a trial. It's a job interview. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a job interview. And you don't have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt anything as to why you shouldn't put so-and-so on the court. 
And uh, so, I, I, look, I, I was, I I'm grateful you know, she took my call. You, um, you know, for as long as I have, I, I don't know why it took you so long to call her. I wish it had happened earlier. Well, I, 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 I tell you what the deal was. I, I did not, um, since I had publicly apologized for the way she was treated, I'd publicly said it, I publicly had given for out credit for her, what, the, the contribution she made to change, begin to change this culture in a significant way, that um, what, what I didn't want to do, and, and I, mean, I, I didn't want to, quote, invade her space. I didn't mm -hmm. want to get in the situation where this became, and then I, when, when I heard all this about the, and it was legitimate, expecting a call why, every time mm -hmm. the phone rang, why we, and so I, I, I spoke to some uh, leading women advocates in this area, who, someone knew her, and I said, could you see whether she'd take my call? Yeah. And but, I was grateful she took my call. You know, yeah. I think what she wants you to say is, I'm sorry for the way I treated you, not for the way you were treated. I think that would be well, closer. Well, but, but um, I'm sorry the way she got treated. In terms of, I never heard, say, if you go back and look what I said and didn't mm -hmm. say, I, I, I don't think I treated her badly. I took on her opposition, what I couldn't figure out how to do, and we still haven't figured it out. Yeah. How do you stop people from asking inflammatory questions? How do you stop these character assassinations outside? There was a full-blown attack on her in order to try to get um, uh, the defense, quote-unquote, for uh, Clarence Thomas. And, uh, and I am, I, 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 no woman, or any victim of harassment should ever be put through that circumstance mm -hmm. in public hearing. Yeah. And, uh, and so, look, if you notice, we're all still looking for, how do you change the process of having the hearing. So he doesn't want to weigh in on the fact that she's not satisfied. And when, you know, Joy Behar presses him on uh, saying, I think what she really wants to hear you say is sort of take responsibility. Say, I am sorry for what I did. And yet, even though he added some new language of I apologize, it was it was sort of for lots of mistakes were made across the board, not again pointing to anything he did as chairman of that committee where he failed her and apologized for that specifically. I think to be charitable, it was a missed opportunity. Uh, probably to be a little uh, harsher, it was a uh, it was bad. It was just bad how he was unable to sort of recognize what you know this moment requires a tight. Uh, I'm sorry for what I did. I mean, Joy Behar, you just heard there, was leading him to water. Yes. I mean, literally leading him to water, uh, and he didn't drink. So I think, again, is this, uh, I predict he will have a tighter answer at some point because that question will come up again and again. Well, it's going to come up again from Robert Roberts' GMA interview uh, next week. I have no doubt. For sure. And his answer might be better, but it makes you wonder uh, what has he been doing. He clearly does not believe that he intentionally did anything wrong. So that is at his core here. He does not want to apologize for something that he uh you know, that he did not allow other witnesses to come forward and other things. Right. But we are and going that to he was fully – that he believed her from the get-go and that he was opposed to the Thomas Not He sees all of those data points, but he doesn't – and I think he seems to think the system failed, but he's missing the piece that he was he the was chairman the of the committee. Yeah. He was running the show. And the longer we 
the longer he sort of struggles and flails, really, I mean, uh, which I think is a pretty accurate word to say he flailed around, um, I think that that is something that makes you question other uh, parts about Joe Biden. He does not want to make this about him. He wants to make this campaign about defeating Donald Trump, about to President Trump's you know inadequacies, his moral failings, uh, to not talk about uh, his old record. One question I have, David, why didn't we know about this phone call a few weeks ago? Why did they want this to be part of his opening day rollout? On CNN with our colleague Brianna Keeler, uh, we first learned about this phone call um, Biden's deputy campaign manager, Kate Bedingfield, said that Joe Biden had talked to Anita Hill. Why didn't that like leak out maybe three weeks ago? And then it would have been sort of you know, an, answer an old done, acid yeah. answer done. So I just think uh, strategically from the beginning, it shows how unreconciled I think this period of time is in Joe Biden's own so really, mind. Really good point. Uh, he was also asked about his comment yesterday at the Wilmington train station named the Joe Biden train station. Joseph R. Biden. Joseph yes, R. Biden right. train station. Um, he R. was Stand asked... For Robinette, of course. Yes. Uh, he was asked uh, about how Obama not endorsing him and sort of what that means and how that should be interpreted. And he offered up the fact that he said, I asked the former president not to endorse. And so the ladies of The View pressed him on that today. And, um, you know, he talked glowingly, as he does, of his time in serving with President Obama. He talked about what a close personal relationship they have, which I I hear him talk more about uh, than I hear Obama talk about that. But, but I have no doubt that they have a personal affinity for each other. He said that he and Dr. Jill Biden and Michelle Obama and Barack Obama recently got together, he said, and they well, the interviewed uh, yeah. over there. And, and, and I presume they talked about the upcoming run. But... He said he didn't want the endorsement because he wants to do this on his own. What have you learned? Did he – is that true? Did he ask Barack Obama not to endorse him? That would suppose that Barack Obama was ready to endorse him, which <laughs> in fact he was not. So our reporting on this uh, suggests it was basically a mutually agreed upon decision. Uh, President Obama was never going to endorse him. And Joe Biden knew that and realized that. And both of them realized that politically speaking, that may not be the best thing. Uh, even coming into this, I mean, imagine if Obama would have endorsed him. It may help on the margins, but the campaign will still go on, and Joe Biden still needs to sort of win this one on his own. And that is a central question here. Can he win the big one? That is really, I think, one of the driving questions. Can he win the big one on, on his own? Up until now, he's never been able to. Uh, so I think the Obama... Biden dynamic has always been fascinating. Yes, they are close, but they do not talk very often. In fact, only a handful of times um, over the last several weeks and months. So uh, I'm told that they did have conversations about uh, them running, but uh, President Obama was more of a a, a listening. Uh, He was in more sort of listen-only mode and talking about family. But he didn't talk him out of running. He didn't try and say, this may not be such a good idea as he did uh, four years ago when Joe Biden was thinking of jumping in sort of at the in the fall of 2015, uh, the Biden um, – some people in Biden world there were really hoping he was going to run. And I'm told that that's one thing that Joe Biden has really never been able to sort of get over and shake the feeling, boy, what would have happened if I would have run? So that is driving his decision but to run this time. But in that, does any of your reporting suggest that he somehow resents President Obama for trying to ease him – 
find a path for him to say he would not run in 2015? I don't think so okay. because it was such a time filled with personal grief raw. for the I mean, Biden raw, family yeah. because uh, his son, uh, Bo Biden, um, you know, the love and star of his life in so many ways. You cannot underestimate uh, or how underexplain how the close relationship that uh, Joe Biden has with his sons uh, because of, you know, the, the loss of their mother um, in, in the 70s and whatnot. Um, so I believe that I do not believe he harbors any ill will towards mom. It's more Biden came to the decision on his own that he was not going to run in 2015. But he was sort of like led to that. But I think, you know, keep an eye on what President Obama does on this, because I'm also told privately he does not, um, you know, has not spoken ill about this. There are plenty of Democrats, as you know, David, uh, who like Joe Biden a lot, who don't think this is a good idea, who are worried about how this will end for him. Is he going to end his political career with a loss? I am told Democratic that, uh, operatives and players, I don't know right. about Democratic voters uh, having that sensibility yet. I think that is true. But I've talked to several uh, – I was thinking about a, uh, a conversation I had with a, a, a county chairman in Iowa just a couple months ago when I was uh, – um, was in Muscatine, Iowa, and a county chairman who said he likes Joe Biden a lot says, I'm not going to be with him this time because it's time for something new. So I think that – but we've not heard President Obama uh, send any signals that he does not uh, think that uh, Joe Biden shouldn't run. He does not know how this will end, of course, but they left open the possibility yesterday that he could endorse yeah. at some point. Yeah, I think and that I, I was, thought that was like, super interesting yeah. because to me, how I interpreted that, that door being left open, Jeff, was that um, if this does fall, this contest for the Democratic nomination, when we get into next year and the voting begins and we're down to one or two people, maybe it's a battle between two people. If it is a real ideological battle or there, there is a clear belief on the part of President Obama that one would lead the party in the wrong direction or to almost certain defeat against Donald Trump and one would be, have a much stronger chance of defeating Donald Trump, I would imagine Barack Obama could potentially get involved at I that point. I think that's right. But we're talking about after the voting Begins. has – yes. uh, is underway. So we're talking probably about a year from now. So they, so they definitely left the door open. But look, endorsements uh, – President Obama knows this very well. Endorsements don't mean that much. He endorsed Hillary Clinton and barnstormed all over America. Think of uh, you know um, his own – he's never – Did he say that about Ted Kennedy's endorsement of him? No. I think that added some validation to him. But it was already because he was winning. Right. It was uh, – an endorsement before a single vote is cast is essentially worthless. I was thinking back to when Al Gore endorsed Howard Dean. Remember oh, that? Yes, I did. I mean, OK. Uh, so endorsements when a candidate is heading in a direction I think adds to momentum. But at this point – I think it would just uh, add to the fact that we're not going to be told what to do yeah, here, definitely. especially in, again, to overuse this sort of a woke Democratic Party. And that's another question. Uh, it's a question about uh, pragmatism versus purity here. And a lot of voters I talked to are pretty darn pragmatic in those early uh, states. So we'll see. Yeah. Jeff Zeleny, thank you so much for being here. Hey, David, thank you. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. That does it for this edition of The Daily DC. Thank you all so much for listening. Hope you'll tune in again right here on Monday. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. 
Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.